Father, there's so much that is rich in your word and so much that is startling. We ask, Lord, that as we sift through both, you would provide insight and wisdom as to your character and the character of those that you used to bring your good news, the gospel, to the masses. We ask that we would not miss anything. We pray that as we study your word, we would become even more discerning of the days in which we live. And we ask, Lord, for those who are going astray, that you would bring them back, you would tug on their heart, that you would be able to reach them in the depths of their souls, that they would understand there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, as Paul is a defender of this gospel, we ask that you would make us defenders as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a story. This is a true story. Story of a a man several years ago, I heard, he owned a, a particular business where he had to have fuel tanks in the ground. Those fuel tanks had to be inspected. It was either every year or twice a year. And as he had fill out those um, documents, he had to fill out documents stating everything was okay, this was checked, this was the pressure, on and on. He'd fill out those religiously, did it according to the laws of the state of California, and he'd pass those in. Several years passed, and he was given a call by somebody from the governmental organization that keeps track of these things. I don't know if it was the Department of Transportation or the Department of Weights and Measures. I have no idea which one it was. But he contacted the man that was hired to check these tanks. And he said, oh, by the way, there's been a mistake. The mistake is that you've been filling out the wrong forms. And so the guy said, well, just give me the forms and I'll go back and I'll correct them all. He goes, no, it doesn't quite work that way. He said, there's a fine associated with you not filling out the right forms. And of course, he was supplied the forms from this governmental agency. Well, he got the new forms and he said, the fine is going to be $80,000 for you not filling out the right forms that he never received from the governmental organization. It was basically something where he had this direction. He filled out this direction. He knew where he was going. But then all of a sudden, something else came in by a nefarious character who wanted more money for the governmental organization and kind of messed things up. Now, how would that make you feel? You'd feel betrayed, a little angry, maybe. But this is similar to what was happening in the churches in Galatia. Now, In Galatia, Paul was going up there and he had gone to a place in Galatia, the the whole region there, was in the Roman vicinity, a Roman control, and there were mostly Gentiles who were up there, even pagans were up in that area. And Paul was a Jew who went to the pagans. And as he went to them, he would discuss with them what the law was in Israel, the books of Moses and what was required of the law. And he would instruct them on how Jesus came and fulfilled that law. But there was this group of individuals that we ran into in 2 Corinthians called the Judaizers. 
And the Judaizers came in and they started teaching the people when Paul wasn't there that they needed to follow the laws of Moses and for the men to be circumcised and receive Jesus as the Messiah in order to be saved. Paul, if he had hair, it was on fire once he heard about this. He could not stand the fact that this was being done. And Paul wrote in the book of Galatians the most vehement, the most raucous, the most condemning statements he has made in all of his letters, which would amount to about 13 of them in the New Testament. And so these Judaizers would come in, and of course, just like in Second Corinthians, they had their letters of recommendation, and they also came from Jerusalem, and they had also practiced the law, and of course, they were recommended. And so somebody who is a pagan, who is a Gentile, they accept Jesus Christ by the grace of God. God reaches out to them, and they receive salvation. But then the Judaizers come along and say, you don't have it quite right. It's not that you have to fill out these other forms, but you do have to practice these other things. And by doing so, what they were doing was really surrendering what the true gospel was. And it would end up leading others astray. Now, how would you feel if you had been discipling individuals and somebody else comes in and starts leading them astray? Now, this is all in the first century. How long did it take for these individuals in the churches in Galatia to start veering off? It didn't take very long at all. I've known several people in my life that they have been on fire for the Lord. You would just gather around them because they were so on fire, you'd be warmed up by their presence and what they'd talk about God and the insights that they'd have. But then they end up walking away. They don't persevere to the end. They say, well, that was a phase that I went through or there's several things now that I'm just not sure of in the scripture rather than becoming stronger they became weaker and remember according to uh, scripture we know that those who need boundaries and borders and hedges to stay in those are the individuals who are more weak in the faith they are not the individuals who are more strong more stout more able to endure the weather and they will require others to follow in their suit. In the Christian church, there have been certain sects that require people to wear certain clothing, to have ties or to wear a suit, and you cannot dance and you cannot chew and you cannot go with girls that do, by the way. That's a very, that's a very old statement. But anyhow, that, that's the idea. You have to follow a particular pattern, even to the point where they'll provide for you a discipler and that discipler will make all the decisions for you until you come to full maturity and that's not what the grace of God is all about the grace of God gives so much freedom that it can be scary to those who don't believe freedom is available they may consider you a sinner if you exercise your freedom for instance which particular book does it say thou shalt not dance First speculations, second book of Bill, you know, something like that. There is no book that says that. And yet we would say, no, you can't do that because it leads to all kinds of other things. I don't know about you, but even in elementary school, we had square dancing and it was fun. 
and Katie Mitchell was there. And, and we were able to square dance, and it was just a wonderful time. You actually got to hold their hands and do si and promenade and all of that. And we went to a couple's retreat, Patty and I, I don't know, maybe about uh, five or ten years ago. And it was put on by Mike McIntosh, and they had professional callers out there. And there was probably a thousand couples that were there. And we filled up the entire room and we were dosy doing and bowing and curtsying and all of those things. And it was just a hoot. It was a great time. And the band was just excellent. And so we danced and we danced and we, we don't regret it at all. It was wonderful. But somebody could walk in and say, you shouldn't be dancing. It is something that is of the devil. When the church first started, there was somebody who had a ministry that they made, there was a thing called a VHS tape and he would make this program on a VHS tape and he'd want to send it to all the youth groups throughout the county that he could get a hold of, of of how rock and roll was the devil's music. And of course there are Christian songs now that people say, well, no, they're not theologically sound and you got to get away from that stuff. And we're making judgments all the time of what songs you can sing. I, I've mentioned to you before that the, somebody has uh, spoken to me about this, that there are certain groups that believe we should never sing a song in a minor key. A minor key is a song that would be played like at a funeral or um, the Jews, they use the minor keys a lot and they have the polka type of beat where they, they play and you know it's just a polka and it's a minor chord and that's what they play and they will say, well that's why the Jews have been cursed and it shows that they're cursed because they play in the minor keys. We need to play in the major keys. They are more forthcoming, they're more brilliant so play in the major keys and, and all of these different things that we hedge people people in and say you have to work and operate like this as a believer or even you can only have fish on Fridays your diet has to come in line and and then those in the Seventh-day Adventists I've been um, going back and forth with somebody in Europe about uh, the Seventh-day Adventists being a cult and after my dialogue with them I think they are fully a cult stuff that is online is misleading as to what they believe, but they also believe that it's the perfection of the body here. They believe that you just die and you go to sleep and maybe you'll be resurrected, maybe you won't, but there is soul sleep and you want to make sure you perfect the body here. That's why you want to be a vegan or a vegetarian at least. But if you can get to being a vegan, that would be great because you're honoring God by honoring his commandment that he is the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you don't want to dishonor God by eating the wrong things. And so all of these hedges, dress, diet observances people come along and say don't celebrate Christmas and don't participate in Halloween they're completely pagan and they go all the way back to Babylonia and back in Babylonia there was the God um, that was worshipped Cineramus and Tammuz and we know them the pictures as Mary and um, the Virgin Mary and Jesus that is there but most of those iconic pictures come from Babylon and so everything that you do is probably a result of Babylon. So you might as well just lock yourself in a room, get your Bible, and starve yourself to death, and the Lord will pick you up once you die. And that's the type of thing, if you listen to everybody out there, it would just be ridiculous. You wouldn't have any freedom whatsoever, freedom to worship God. 
And that's what Paul is so angry about, these Judaizers. They come along, and it says it in Acts, and I'll read it to you, Acts chapter 15, that they had to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. Now imagine if you're a 30 or 40-year-old man, and they come to you and say, guess what you get to do? And, and just what, think what the men would have thought at that point, like, what? Are you serious? You're kidding me, right? And how many would be offended saying, I'm out of here. I am not participating in this whatsoever. Remember the Reverend Jim Jones? Remember that in Guyana? Uh, He went down there. He would line the uh, people up in the church one at a time. And I've mentioned this to you previously, but I just want to reiterate it. He would line them up in the church because they were such sinners and they were so disobedient and he'd smack them on the rear end each person inside the church saw a movie on that in seminary and and so there are all kinds of people out there who would want to tend to control and these individuals who came to Galatia they were not trying to win people to the law they were trying to win people away from Paul and so Paul was always battling against these guys and of course Like I mentioned before, the Acts chapter 15 passage, it is a result of these Judaizers going around. Now, when was this particular book written? Probably around the same time as 1st and 2nd Corinthians, because he's dealing with the same type of people there. And he wants to correct what is going going on. And if you try to find when the exact date was, because I wanted to compare it to Acts chapter 15 with the council in Jerusalem of the elders and the apostles and what Paul did, Paul and Silas and, and some of the other people going to Jerusalem to adjudicate this matter of do we have to keep the law or do we not? I, I wanted to get a time frame. Was that before that happened in Acts where they got this ruling or was it after? And we don't know which it is. Somewhere between 48 and 57 um, A.D. is when this book was written, but we don't know for sure. And uh, the major theme or themes in the book of Galatians is the doctrine of justification by faith in the gospel of grace. There are also warnings against returning to Judaism and observing the ceremonial laws which were considered to be, by some, mandatory. And Paul was also dealing with this, and I believe Paul is the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, that there's a warning, don't go back to observing the things in the Old Testament law. Now, some people do it just by way of remembrance, and and that's fine. If you want to have a Feast of Tabernacles and set up a little tabernacle out there, that's great. But if you think God wants you to keep that, because he wants you to keep the Old Testament law, you are mistaken. And that's what these Judaizers were saying. Now, I've been to Jewish seders. I've been uh, at least to one service where they had a little outdoor um, palm um, structure built up for the Feast of Tabernacles. And, you know, Christian ministries, they do that. And it's okay. It's okay to do that. But to think that that is necessary in order to be saved... That is of great error. So defining some of these previously mentioned terms, like the doctrine of justification by faith. Now, that's a theological term. To be justified is simply to be vindicated or to validate or defend or support or to be declared, de- declared right in front of God. It would be like being before a judge and you had a traffic ticket. I know no one in here has ever broken the law and gotten a traffic ticket. But for those pagans who have gone before the court system and stood before the judge, 
the judge has the power to say, you have been vindicated, you have been justified, I support you, I defend you, you are not guilty any longer. The stain of this can be expunged from your record and nothing has to remain whatsoever. The judge has the ability to do that. And that's what it means. To be justified is to be justified by faith in the scripture. Now what that means is you believe that you are declared right in the eyes of God. That's what makes us right. That's it. There's nothing. There isn't anything else. If we trust Christ to declare that we are right, then we are right. No work at all. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to pay him back. That's why he died. That's why Jesus came and died. And this is what the Judaizers were attacking. Well, yeah, you have faith in the Messiah, but you also must do these works. Now, we know that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says... We are not saved by works. Now, this particular book, like I said, Paul gets into it and he's angry. He's angry about this, that people are saying you can live with this faith, but you also have this in addition to the faith. And Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all of those individuals from the Old Testament who demonstrated their faith. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 11, there was Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. They're all mentioned because of their faith. Remember the prostitute Rahab, how the invading armies of Israel were coming in to take the land that the Lord had given them, and Rahab was the only one down in Jericho that survived because she harbored the spies that came in, put them under some... Uh, feed or hay on the roof and they came looking for them they were going to take them and probably kill them and she protected them and because of that well and she believed that god was in fact going to come in and he is going to dominate the land with the israelites and because she believed that by her faith she was made whole in the eyes of god she was justified in the eyes of god and she was spared once she put that scarlet a scarf or that blanket outside of her window. They knew that that's where she was and everybody that was her family had to be in there. Otherwise, they would have perished too. And she ended up becoming a practicing Jew. She proselytized over to Judaism and no longer was a pagan. So this idea of faith, faith is something that is elusive to many people. Like you just trust and that's it. You just believe and that's it. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It's where you are fully convinced or you could say, I truly believe or you could say, I will not be dissuaded. You have been uh, conditioned in your own mind through study, through investigation that this is the truth and there is no other truth that you can use to appease God. It is by faith. And so all of us have to be convinced of that. Now, at some particular point in your life, maybe you have said, well, I don't even know if I'm saved. Why? Because you sinned? You see, that's the point. Jesus saves us from that. He doesn't say you'll be sinless, but you will sin less, right? 
Keep that in mind. And if you're sinning less, well, you just keep on going in that direction. I press towards the mark for the prize of a high calling of God in Christ Jesus, forgetting what is behind and reaching forth into those things which are before me. I love the King James in that. And so we're just supposed to keep walking ahead. Get up. You know, my uh, grandson, I love watching... He walks and he twists and he falls and he gets back up and he walks and he twists and he slams his head and then he gets up and he walks and he's just working at it. He doesn't stop. Poor Patty, she's chasing him everywhere. We're in the house. Mom, her mom, his mom doesn't get any sleep whatsoever. It's just the way little boys are. And it's fantastic to see him just persevering. He learned, uh, what, giraffe the other day? Raph. Raph. You have this little wooden giraffe, and now he knows raff. And a few other words, papa, mama, dada. He, he's going through all that, and it's wonderful. He's, he's just poking along. He's doing great. The, the wonders of a little mind like that, just absorbing everything around him, just persevering forward. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, when we start out walking with the Lord, we're the same way. We're you know, kind of unstable, and maybe we'll go and rebuke somebody. Uh, and say, you, you're not doing the will of the Lord, and you don't do it with gentleness and respect, and then you find out later, maybe you shouldn't handle it quite that way. Let me show you a more excellent way to handle your conversations with others, to make a case for Christ and the gospel. And so we learn these things, or just basic doctrines of the Christian faith. We're supposed to go through and study these things. Now, the Galatian church, they didn't have the New Testament. They had Paul and they had the Old Testament. Now, this letter that was written to them became scripture. It was scripture when it was written, but it was accepted by the church as being scripture. So to summarize what I've just talked about, it's to be declared right or in good standing before God by simply trusting Jesus to make it so. Nothing else is required. And then there's this gospel of grace. Now, there are two kinds of gospels um, that some people would like to say are in the scriptures. The first one is the gospel of works, man's attempt to reach out to God. And the other is the gospel of grace. That's God's attempt to reach out to man. You know, when I wrote that down, I have to tell you what was in the forefront of my mind. Man. They would tell you today that you cannot say man. And I started thinking in my mind, well, what should I use? How should I phrase this? And then I thought, well, human attempt. But no, that has man in it. So I I can't use human. Uh, That would be sexist, and I'm not supposed to be gender-specific. And I thought, well, characters or people. It's like, forget it. I'm just saying man. That's the way it is. Man's attempt to reach out to God. Because what does Genesis say man means? Man means male and female. There are only two, male and female. So we'll go on with that. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 22... Let me read this to you. It says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. This is the Apostle Paul. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That is the good news. It is Jesus plus nothing. 
If you have Jesus plus something like the Old Testament law, it is not a gospel at all. It, at all. It is the gospel of works, which is no good news that you have to work your way. Remember, all other worldly, worldly religions and cults, you have to do something. You have to perform. If you don't perform properly, there's no guarantee that you're going to go on to the next stage. Whether it is uh, the Muslim belief, if you keep your uh, prayers five times a day and you make the Hajj, the trip over to um, Saudi Arabia and walk around that meteorite that had fallen and the obelisk that's there if you if you do that then you might have a chance of getting in but uh, their god allah is a capricious god he may let you in he may not let you in all you can do is hope but if you do these things you have a better chance of getting in but they speak out of both sides of their mouth they'll say on one hand no he'll choose you freely but you have to do these things but it's okay he still choose you freely and and they just don't know what they're talking about if you go to all the cults which are out there you have to perform if you don't perform you're not in good standing if you're not in good standing you could be excommunicated if you're excommunicated we're turning you over to satan for the destruction of the flesh and you're probably not even saved well, what about karma you go to the eastern religions if you step on a bug that could have been ant myrtle and you just killed ant myrtle again therefore you're going to come back as a bug and you're going to have to experience the same thing or this idea of uh, uh, the Buddhism that you go to be at one with the universe, which is up there, an old book by Arthur C. Clarke, Childhood's End, uh, science fiction. It deals with that there. You just go to be one with the collective, which is up there. You'd be surprised how many movies that have come out of Hollywood have these themes behind them that you don't even know that they're there unless you recognize some of these religions. And so it's all works-based. You must perform. You know, parents that, um, of course, they have children. When you have the children, do you just love them for who they are, no matter what else is going on? They're still yours. You love them. And are they going to mess up? Oh, yeah. Are they going to mess up big sometimes? Oh, yeah. Are you going to have to do something about it? Sometimes. Sometimes you let the consequences come, but you don't stop loving them. They are not ceasing to be yours once that's the case. And that's what Paul is saying. As we go through this life, you're going to fall to a sin at one time or another or maybe daily. And you're working out your your. Uh, salvation with fear and trembling and that is the gospel of grace grace given to us is god's unmerited favor now i know you remember this but i'm going to say it again if anybody has forgotten there's grace and there's mercy and there's justice grace is not or excuse me grace is getting what you don't deserve somebody walks up to you gives you a million bucks says it's all yours man do you think you have to repay them somehow? They, no, it's just yours. I'm giving you this because it is full of grace. I'm blessing you just because I'm able to. That's what God does to us. Then there's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, how many of us want mercy? I want mercy. That's why I am merciful. If somebody comes along and extends mercy... There was a debate with the uh, pardons that were given out. And then there was a comparison to past pardons which are, have been given out. And these people, they are sinners. They're evil. They're criminals. All of them. But when mercy is given out, I don't care which administration, when, when mercy is given out like that, I go, wow. 
That is great. I want that kind of mercy where everything that I've done before has been wiped away. I don't deserve it, but that grace, that mercy has been given to me. Unmerited favor. And then there's justice. Justice is getting exactly what you deserve. If you're taken away in handcuffs, you probably deserve it. I saw a little video of some woman. She got arrested. She's in the back of the police car, and there's a camera on her. Well, she undid her seatbelt, and then she undid her cuffs, and then she got through the little window that goes to the front. She started up the police car and started driving away, and they ended up having to shoot out the windows once she crashed the vehicle to get her out of there. She got exactly what she deserved. And they weren't being kind. I saw another one where a woman, she was, she was sitting down at a store and a police officer apparently was called to the area. And so he starts walking towards her and she, he starts walking towards her and then she gets up and she starts with this strong gate going right at him, you know, just straight at him. All he does is, you know, guys know what a fireman's carry is fireman's carry is where you grab they're coming at you you grab one arm you throw them up on your shoulder and slam them down to the ground that's what the police officer did to this woman who was like in his well she got what she deserved she's charging a police officer and that's what he did i don't want that kind of treatment i don't want justice i don't i don't need justice i want mercy and i want the grace of god and so that's what this gospel is about you get it freely just take it now, some people go, I'm not sure I want that. What do you mean you don't want it? It's a gift. It's just been wrapped up. Look how beautiful this thing is. And you go, I'm not yet. What are you talking about? If somebody, if Elon Musk came to you and said, I have a rocket for you, would you say, I'm not yet? Would you take it? Maybe sell it, do, do whatever you want? If somebody came to you and said, I have a brand new truck for you or a brand new car. Would you say, no, I don't want it. No, no, just go ahead and take it away. You, you would say, well, that's ridiculous. They just want to give it to you. Just go ahead and take it. And they'll even pay the tax on it. There's no tax involved. You know, some of those things you win, you have to pay the tax and you may not be able to keep it because you have to pay so much tax on it. It's not like that. There's no tax. It's a free gift. And some people say, oh, no, I don't want it. Why would you not want that which is free that will bless you and bless everyone around you? And then when you tell others you're able to give them the same gift, why would anybody reject what is here? That's why Paul's so upset. This thing has been given to the people in Galatia and someone else is coming in and saying, well, but you have to add something to it. It's not good enough the way that it is. So the gospel of grace is Jesus plus nothing. It is all about grace. Now, some would say that the letter of James would contradict the letter to the Galatians. Actually, I'd like you to turn there. And I I want to uh, go through this. I'm going to be in chapter 2 and beginning in verse 14. Now, if you remember Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer during the time of the reformation he loved the book of galatians <coughs> he hated the book of james but in james it would seem to say that you're going to have works and those works some people would predicate that on your salvation that you have to have the works and you're saved but that's not what james is talking about 
James chapter 2, verse 14, he starts out with, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And some people interpret that to be, you're going to have these works and those works work together with your faith and they save you. And the Judaizers would be justified, declared right in saying, that. see, they, they both go together. But that's not what's being communicated here. He goes on to say, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. You see, that's the key phrase right there. That's the phrase that makes you think you have to do these works. <clears throat> In the same way, not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What this is saying is, if you are saved, works will flow. Those works will be evidence that you are saved. They reciprocate back. And so the person who is saved has the works. The works testify that you have been justified by faith. That's what we're supposed to understand. The person who, quote, gets saved, confesses Christ with their mouth, believes in their heart that, they, uh, that Christ raised from the dead. If they do that and it's sincere, they believe it's sincere. If they have no works, there's really no salvation. Yeah, I'm saved. And, and this is to keep people from thinking, it's all about grace. I don't have to do anything whatsoever. No, that's not the case. If you have the grace of God given to you in your life, you're going to want to give that to others. And to the degree that you believed you are loved, to the degree that you have been blessed, you will seek to do that with others. If you don't think you're very blessed... You're not going to really be committed. You're not going to do much for those who are around you. You're not going to show them the proper way. But the person who has great faith does great works. That's how it operates in the kingdom of God. So it isn't that you are without works. You will produce works. <clears throat> everything does, everyone and everything does what's in its nature. For instance, what do birds do? They fly, most birds. There's a couple that don't. Penguins, they fly underwater. But then the ostrich, the ostrich does not fly. The emu does not fly. But for the most part, birds fly. What do slugs do? Slime. That's what they do. They go along and they slime. And their beady little eyes come out and they don't like salt. Those two things. Well, what about flies? What about cows? 
What about, you name it, whatever animal you want to come up with or insect. It does what its nature dictates it should do. If you have a new nature and you follow Christ, you will do the works. It will just happen. Now, are you doing the works all the time? No. There are seasons. God talks about these seasons. There are going to be seasons where you produce a lot of fruit. I've talked about this, I think, last week, about uh, citrus trees being laden with fruit. I know one citrus tree on a place that I go to. There's hundreds of lemons on this tree. There's so many, I'd go, just pick them and make lemonade and freeze the condensed part of it and make it all year long. There are so many of them on this particular tree. If you are part, or if you've been grafted into the tree of life, you are going to produce fruit, fruit of some kind, eventually. Now, it doesn't happen right away. For instance, I'll mention my grandson again. He hasn't learned how to dig a trench yet. Won't be long, maybe by age two, he'll learn. But you get the idea. It's going to take time. It takes time to even learn how to speak. We have to learn what the Bible says about holy language. Uh, What do you mean holy language? Like Christianese. If I speak in Christianese, people who are pagans, people who are Gentiles, they probably have no idea what I'm talking about. If I say hallelujah, praise the Lord, hosanna, hesed to emet verakakain, you know, if you start speaking Hebrew, something like that, they're not going to know what's being said. And it takes time, it takes years of working at it to make sure you are walking the way you're supposed to and producing the fruit that you're supposed to be producing, the works, and those will come forth from anyone who is a believer. Now, going on, Galatians again points out that works cannot save anyone. James is pointing out that a person who has already received saving faith will have works. And this is how we examine ourselves. Now, true love is going to be a fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those things will be a fruit of following Christ. If you don't have many of those, just ask Christ and he'll give you all of them. Uh, They will be worked out inside of you but we are supposed to look at ourselves ask yourself since you have become a believer are you more loving or less loving are you filled with more joy or less joy second corinthians thirteen five: examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves do you not realize that christ jesus is in you unless of course you fail the test And I trust you will discover that we have not failed the test. Remember, there was a controversy about Paul and whether or not he was doing the works of an apostle. And, of course, he was. And that's why he gives them the challenge. But he puts it back in their lap. You test yourself and see if you're saved. So right now, you can test yourself. Do you know more about the Bible today, even theology, than you did when you got saved? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know the Ten Commandments in order? Do you know the books of the Bible? Do you know the books of the Bible backwards? Well, you you may not know that, but you, you, you get the idea. Do you know the characters, the major characters that are in the Bible? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Do you know about Noah? Do you know about Adam? Do you know about Eve? Do you know about the serpent? Do you know about the apostles? Do you know about those who got saved later? Uh, some of the uh, deacons in the early church, like Stephen. 
who was stoned for his faith. Do you know these particular stories? Do you know about the judges in the Old Testament? Do you know about the major prophets and the minor prophets, like who was known as the weeping prophet? That would have been Jeremiah. You know, so all of these things, these characteristics, we just gain the knowledge. Now, is that going to save anyone because they have the knowledge? No. And we know that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So the more knowledge you get, you might trip up yourself saying, I know this and you don't, huh? And you become prideful on the inside. And God has a way to keep us suppressed in that area. We just have to trust in him to do that. So it is crucial to understand that these works a believer does are all motivated by love. That's it. It's not motivated because you're going to get extra brownie points, although it tells us we will get a reward in heaven for the works that we do. And we should not be motivated by dread, not by fear, but by maintaining the idea that we have been given a tremendous privilege to be able to help God who needs no help in serving others. He goes, I want you to help me. I've saved you and I want you to help me. And we're supposed to go, anything, whatever you want, I will do it. What, there's a place down in Antarctica you want me to go to to witness somebody? You betcha. I'm out of here on the first boat getting down there. Whatever he would want you to do. Africa, Asia, Cambodia, Vietnam, all of those, Indonesia. You know, those are, that's the 1040 window over there. And sometimes people will not hear the gospel. Uh, One chance in a hundred years to hear the gospel. And you might be the one that brings it to them. And so we want to make sure we're endeavoring to learn what the scripture has to say because we're motivated by the love of God, not the fear. The only thing we have to fear is loss of reward. If you want loss of reward, then don't do anything. Just show up. And like Job says, you'll be saved by the skin of your teeth. Lots of skin on those teeth, isn't there? It's this idea, you're going to get there, but there's really no reward. You get the reward of being saved, and that's it. Then there's the tone of this letter. It is probably, I'm certain it is, it is the most confrontational letter that some, than some of the rest of his writings. There is really no encouragement, except the very last line. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. That, that's it. That's the only blessing they get. If you go to some of these other books, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, you're doing so well. And the brothers are all blessed because of what you've done and the gifts we've received. And he just lauds the praise. Not so much in this book. In this book, ah, it's brutal. He, he doesn't really offer a prayer. Uh, there's no, like I said, no blessing except for the closing line and really no encouragement. Now, In Galatians, I've told you Galatians chapter 6 verse 8 has the one blessing that is there. Now in this letter I told you that Paul is challenging the group of Judaizers and I've explained those Judaizers who they are and the area in which he has arrived to get them the gospel. But Paul was angered. And again, as I mentioned before, this Acts chapter 15 where this council was taking place, Paul was like an attorney showing up saying... This is not supposed to be the way it is where somebody has to follow the law. And I'd like you to turn over to Acts chapter 15. I'm laying this foundation so you know exactly what's going on in the book of Galatians. In Acts chapter 15, and we're going to read through these verses to see exactly what takes place and what kind of requirements and they're really suggestions that are placed upon those who become believers that are Gentiles. It says in verse 1 of chapter 15, 
Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. There it is. It's in plain English for us, originally in Greek. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Now, Paul was a trained rabbi. Have you ever seen a rabbi argue? Have you ever seen a Jew argue? It is not an easy thing, arguing all the time. Uh, But then they walk away and it's no big deal. They don't let it affect the rest of their life, but they argue. And it says sharp disagreement. Do you think there was a, a high volume in their conversation going back and forth? I can guarantee it. They were probably yelling at each other, going back and forth. There were fingers being pointed and hands going in the air and pacing going back and forth. This is a sharp dispute. He goes on to say, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers. This is taking place inside the church. Paul comes along, he's an apostle and Barnabas, and they're on one side inside of a church meeting, and there's these other guys on the other side of the church meeting, and everybody's gathered around, and these people don't know what to think. Their mouths are opening up like, oh man, get the popcorn. This is some type of great debate that has taken place here. And they're just going back and forth. But it would have been unsettling to those inside the church. So those inside the church said, Look, Paul, Barnabas, you guys go to Jerusalem. Let's settle this matter once and for all. And so they did. He goes on. What verse is that? Verse 2. Uh, It goes on to say, along with some of the believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Verse 3, the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them, being the apostles that go to the Gentiles. Then some of the believers, verse 5, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the laws of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, probably went on for hours or days, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Of course, that would have been recorded in Acts chapter 10 and 11, where you have the household of Cornelius there. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our forefathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of men 
may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, verse 19, therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, the first one, eating food polluted by idols, that's being offered to an idol. If you're not with somebody who would be stumbled by that, Paul already says, you can eat it. It's nothing. It's no big deal. But sexual immorality, now everyone's to avoid sexual immorality, all forms of it. And from meat of strangled animals, I told you there was some state down south, they had a recipe book, how to prepare roadkill. Uh, and you could just grab it and fix it the way you wanted it. You know, if you hit a deer, oh, wow, put the deer in the back of the truck and continue on, and, and you're going to have some good venison there. And, but back then, you know, if an animal was caught in a trap and was strangled, the blood's still in it, and you're not supposed to eat it. You go to Ireland, they eat blood sausage. Uh, and it's black, and it's about this big around, and they pop it in there just like it's candy. So they totally eat that stuff, and... You know, they're Catholics. It's not, you could have blood sausage if you went over there if you wanted to. But if somebody says, I'm completely offended, don't eat that. You're breaking God's command. Well, okay, don't eat it. But God says these things are okay. But they did this at this particular point to keep from offending the Jews who were weaker in the faith and were not able to accept these liberties. Going on, for Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And I'm not going to read the rest of it here. But they went back and they established this is it. Now, some people believe this was before the book of Galatians was written. And he's still having a problem with this being inside the church. Now, he begins, we're going to get to verse 1 here. In the book of Galatians, he begins with a normal opening like most every day, the letters that were written. He says, Paul, he identifies himself, an apostle, nice and short. Then he establishes who sent him. He says, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. Now, this is probably a retort in the face of those who were sent by men, those individuals who had letters, who had lived in Jerusalem, who had been raised under the rabbis there, they were probably uh, telling everyone, you need to listen to these people because they know the law and this is what the law says. And so he, Paul says, I wasn't appointed by men. I have no letters. And remember Galatians, or excuse me, First Corinthians, he said, you are my legacy. You are my witnesses. You are my letters. You are the ones that have been saved and, and have come out of the ministry that he had commanded at that time. So going on to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace, and it's in that order. If you don't have the grace of God, there is no peace. Somebody, if you asked them, if you died today, what would happen to you? There is no peace if they don't have Christ. They don't know where they're going. It says, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he points to God. God is the one. This is the grace that he has given us. The salvation of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead by the Father. And then he just tears it open. I am astonished. Now if you had a family member that did something and you couldn't believe it. 
how would you talk to them when you saw them? I can't believe what you did. That's how you would talk to them. What were you thinking? You know, something like that. You imbecile. No, you wouldn't say that. But you get the idea. You get the idea. This is where Paul is. He's probably standing up as he's dictating this or writing it. Because sometimes I believe he had somebody who would write it down. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This would be the gospel of Vorix that the Judaizers were talking about, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he's not referring to the gospel of grace. He's referring to the gospel of works and these Judaizers who have come in. And he repeats it twice here in verse 8. And I'm going to close with this section. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Exclamation point. As we have already said, so I say again, if anybody is preaching to you the gospel other than what you accepted, now I'm going to put it in the vernacular of the day and I'm giving to you this as a form of instruction. He is saying they can go to hell is what he's saying. Now, if you say that to somebody in our culture, it's being nicely put here. But if you would know exactly what they were saying, if they said that to you, it would be the greatest of insults. Now, I'm going to expand on this next time because I am out of time. But a little bit of an application here. Understanding what the good news really is. It's the grace of God. You don't have to pay back. Remember, people have a hard time accepting gifts that there's no attachment. It's difficult. It's not Jesus plus works it is Jesus that's it it's not plus anything and we want to get a grasp on what this grace of God is and also we want to be able to speak and oppose those who preach or teach another gospel I'll expand on that more next week but may God give you insight and wisdom on what he would require of you being a disciple should you memorize scripture Should you know the stories in the Bible? Should you be a blessing to those who are around you? Should you dedicate your life to Christ? All of those things. None of that brings salvation. That's a result of salvation. If you do those things, you will have great assurance of your faith. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you. I want to thank you for Paul. Paul did not mince words. He came straight out. He was not vague in any way. We ask, Lord, that we can be like that, but with gentleness and respect. He was your ambassador to the people at that time, and he spoke as he was led by your spirit. Father, as we have your word today, we know how we're supposed to speak. (coughs) And we ask that you would help us, Lord, organize our thoughts in such a way that we can be effective in sharing your gospel. And may we shun the teaching of the Judaizers. In Jesus' name, amen.